It's day six of Drive Candice to Radiation podcast. And on today's episode, you are going to meet the dynamic, intelligent, super spunky friend of mine, Haley Hulse, who is on the road to becoming an orthopedic surgeon. Um, she has suffered so many surgeries in her life, in her short life. I believe it's 22 surgeries in t- and she's 25. Um, so she's seen some suffering, friends, but my goodness, she's using that to um, bring about powerful change and to be an advocate for people. We also have a really great conversation about what it's like to be in a rural setting when you're diagnosed with something really difficult and the challenges that people in rural settings face um, getting access to care. So Haley, that's a big passion of hers, and we have a great conversation about that. So I'm excited for you to meet the very bubbly and dynamic Haley Hulse. Well, everybody, welcome to the Drive Candace Radiation Podcast. <laughs> We're here again on the mountain, and driving me today is Miss Haley Hulse. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here and sharing this ride with Candace. Woohoo! Haley, we haven't seen each other in a long time. It's true. When's the last time we saw each other? A couple years? I mean, I think I've seen you in passing, but yeah, like spent time together, uh, I would say. It was like September of 2020, I think. I think so. Okay. Um, Tell the listener a little bit about yourself. Um, So I like to think I'm kind of an old soul. Um, I love people. I love having conversations. So this is right up my alley. Uh, Love sharing a good cup of coffee over any type of conversation. Uh, I have a desire to be an advocate for patients in healthcare. I'm pursuing a career as an orthopedic surgeon or some type of physician. Um, where I can use my own experiences to give back as well as be an advocate for rural and first-generation students. Um, And so I love education. I love sharing my story to help inspire students who come from maybe a different starting spot. And then also just love people and love to help and advocate for them as well. I love that about you. I love your advocacy heart. It's so good. Um, Haley, when did we meet and what bonded us to each other? We met, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know when we met either. I think it was always kind of like a in-passing thing, uh, going to Faith Center together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then maybe, you know, like with your kids being at the same church camp or something, you know, in-passing kind of thing. Right. Um, I also worked with Mike at the hospital. He was always the most helpful, in my opinion. <laughs> always is so great. Um, and then, sorry, what was the second part of the question? Um, what bonded us to one another? Oh, definitely... Um, I think Candace has a very positive presence about her and she's very inspiring and just kind of has that like glow about her and I love those types of people because it just reminds me how precious life is and that if we can find the the joy and the silver lining through all the adversity and everything like that um, it only makes us all better and so she's always just attracted me to be a person I wanted to be around and then also to who just challenges me to be better and true to myself. Yeah, you're also, you've, you've been through, you've seen some things, friend. So you know what it's like to have some rough times, but also have joy during the rough times, for sure. Um, okay, let's talk about kindness, because I, I love kindness. 
Um, you are a very kind and thoughtful human yourself. Uh, if you want a good friend, become friends with Haley. She's amazing. So what is something kind someone has done for you recently? Uh, to even think that I could list, like think of all the things that people have done for me that's kind. Um, I think one thing that comes to mind specifically um, is my boss, actually. Her name's Meredith. She's an excellent woman. But she like let me work part-time during one of like the most stressful times of my life um because she knew and she she believed in my competency at my position as well as she knew that I would still work as hard as I possibly could during the time to study and to do everything that I was trying to do um but she knew that I needed to put my energy into something that wasn't my job all the time and so she, you know, took on some of that extra work so that I could focus on something that was kind of holding me back or that was like an obstacle I was really trying to get over uh, for my admissions test to med school. And I give her a lot of credit and I think it was so kind um, that she thought about that and she told me that, you know, Haley, we're thinking long term here. All the work that you're going to do is going to continue to impact and, and be that advocate. And the only way to do that is if to let you prioritize the thing that you need to focus on and put your energy in. And so that was really kind to me. And I, I was able to accomplish the goal that I had set and I give her a lot of credit because without that flexibility and, and the kindness that she displayed through the process and talking me off the ledge when I, you know, <laughs> didn't do as well on my practice exams or whatever, uh, that was really, really, really impactful to me. So. Yeah, I think it's super important and a sign of a really good leader, manager, boss, when you can see someone outside of the tasks that you want them to do as an actual human with goals and dreams and ideas and it, it, and then valuing that within the workplace, not the ends to itself that you're just like getting the work done. You'll get the work done, but seeing them as an actual human with value beyond what happens eight to five Monday through Friday. Yeah, I love the question when people ask me, what's your definition of a true leader? And Meredith has actually really, really shown me what that actually looks like through her actions because words don't mean a ton to me all the time, you know, because actions speak a lot louder. And she is someone who has really shown me what that means. And so uh, it's funny because sometimes she'll be going through something stressful and I like to just throw it straight back at her like, hey, remember when you told me I had to do this or you showed me this? Like, yeah, it's time we like. And so we're always challenging each other to be better. And that's why we do good work and why we're able to accomplish as much, even if we put maybe less time in it, because what we when we are doing it, it's more intentional. Yeah. Um, and I love that. I love yeah. leaders who lead by example and show the kindness, you know, instead of just talk about wanting to be kind. Yes. I think, I think especially after COVID, I feel like we're all looking for that kind of leader. Um, we're all wanting to be that kind of leader because, you know, life changed for so many of us that we, we just don't want to put up with it. Any, yeah. any, the bar That's has been short. set. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about some fun things. So um, what is super interesting or fun for you right now, Haley? Do you have time for fun? <laughs> um, yes, I do have time for a little bit of time for fun. Um, I'm in the middle of writing secondary essays to applying for my medical school application, and I don't really see that as fun. I struggle to articulate myself through writing. Um, I, I can do that a lot better when I speak. Yeah. And so trying to put it in a word character count and like all of this stuff into an essay and knowing that everything I say needs to be intentional, 
it stresses me out a ton and so I have a lot of people who are helping me through that and editing yeah. and stuff which is very kind as well <laughs> um, but I think something that I really enjoy I I honestly just love to like sit around and talk and have a cup of coffee one thing my dad's so excited about it his little cabin at the lake is he put up hummingbird feeders mm -hmm. and so all weekend I stayed with him at the cabin getting him ready for a surgery that he's having this coming weekend or this coming week and we just sat outside over a cup of coffee and literally watched hummingbirds and that. it was peaceful and I don't know just spending quality time with people I love and care about is what brings me joy I also am really into like reading World War II books. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a book recommend for World War II books? Yeah, actually, there's one that, it's kind of a funny story, but I, we had a substitute teacher in the eighth grade, and his name was Mr. Mackey, which actually was the name of a different professor we had, but this guy was completely unrelated, and he, I don't know how the conversation came up, but my mom is from South Dakota, and my Grammy and everyone lives there, and he said, Haley, uh, have you ever read the book, Was God on Vacation? And I said, no. And at eighth grade me, I hated reading. So I was like, it's got to be good. You know, like <laughs> whatever it is, like it's got to be interesting. So anyways, he knew that I was fascinated by the Holocaust and, and that I love to, to read books like that. And so he was like, well, take this book. I'll bring it to you. So that was in eighth grade. Years have went by. And the other day I was at Jack's Dog. Yeah. And this old man was like staring at me. And I looked over and I just kept looking. I'm like, you look so familiar. And he goes, did I give you a book? <laughs> and it was Mr. Mackey, his daughter and son-in-law actually own Jack's dog, but he gave me this book. And the story in the book is a guy named Jack Vandergeest and he ended up um, escaping Berknew, uh, one of the concentration yeah. camps twice Whoa. during the Holocaust. He comes to America and he ends up being stationed on Ellsworth Air Force Base, which is where my dad was stationed, my no mom way. grew up, and my no grandpa way. retired from. And I wish that my grandpa was still alive so I can oh. ask if he ever knew him. Um, but yeah, I, that book's so inspiring. And again, I'm a sucker for a good story of adversity and how someone's used that as fuel to change the world. So that book is one. Um, and then another book I was written by James Lee Brown, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it's about the Japanese Americans who were in the internment, internment camps and I can't remember what's called but I read that one last summer and that was a very empowering one mm -hmm. but yeah those are my two probably favorite two uh, recommends two okay. recommends yeah okay good any other things you're recommending right now mm. just I think it's so rare to find authenticity anymore um, with the world that's being like you know constructed by social media and all these different like facets that people want you to fall into or labels that people put on you whether it's an identity or something else and I just encourage people to find out who they are and to stick with it because yeah. if you can do that I promise you the world will be a better place yeah for sure there's so much pressure uh, yeah. from our world right now and I, I think that's why I love um, doing this podcast because I get to interview a ton of different kinds of people but we're asking the same questions and it's so fun to see like the common threads and I think you know identity is something that um, should be shaped by who God says you are and who you've been built to be and and not by anything else and I it's so there's so much pressure in that for sure um, okay 
Let's talk about ourselves 10 years ago. All right. <laughs> Speaking of pressure, <laughs> right? Um, what is something you wish you'd known 10 years ago? Or, like, what would you tell yourself, yourself 10 years ago? How old were you 10 years ago? I was 15 years old 15. 10 years ago. We, we lamb. Okay. <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> um, I think one thing I would tell myself is life's about to get a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, but that every single thing that you go through will be for a purpose later on so that you can figure out who you are. Um, I'm an identical twin, so at 15 I was an athlete and an identical twin. That was the only identity I really had. Um, and it wasn't until I started getting hurt and having a lot of medical adversity that I had no choice but to figure out who I was or to use that, that pain for a purpose. Um, well, I you know, could have used it as, oh, poor me and play the victim to it, but instead I chose to uh, use this for a purpose. And so I would have told myself that whatever comes ahead of you, just keep pushing and everything happens for a reason. And I honestly wouldn't change a thing to this day. Yeah. So, yeah, I can kind of say the same thing about this cancer journey. Um, I mean, I'm going to have to have counseling. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little traumatized, but I do feel like um, there's a strength I know in myself now that I didn't know prior to this, that um, there's a resiliency and a strength that I have that I don't think I would have recognized had it not gone through it. So I totally agree with that. And I, I want to add to that, too. I think the the actual word, like the two phrases, and I, I use this phrase all the time, is the miracles are in the breaking because, you know, you got to break to grow, really. That's how anything works, a bone, any you know, like anything. Um, but the other one is it's okay not to be okay. And, you know, growing up in a rural setting, growing up in always being, you know, wanting to be that strong woman, the one who never, like, said she wasn't okay. I wish I was a little more transparent about not being okay and then, you know, just using that to get better and to strengthen myself. So that's the one thing I probably would change. And then just helping others recognize it's also okay not to be okay. It's just what do we do with it? How do we play our cards after we've addressed this? And how do we grow and get better from it instead of dwelling in and playing victim to things that happen to us? Because yeah. really the only thing we can control sometimes is our attitude. So Yeah, yeah. I feel like we can say yes to health on so many different levels, but we have to say yes to it. And it's one of those things where we have to say, I'm going to need help. And I'm going to need help either mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, in some fashion. And then finding a team who can be on your team to help you out. Yeah. Um, okay. Is there... I don't know about this question. We'll see. Is there something about me you've always wanted to know, but never asked? I'm a pretty open book, so I don't know. Okay, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, oh, what would it be? Baby Jesus. Um, that's a hard question, Haley. <laughs> what would I eat if I could only eat one thing? Well, I have to say, okay, maybe this is the Irish in me showing, but I'm going to say potato. Oh, yes. Because there's so many things you can do with a potato. And honestly, I kind of now have like this sweet spot. There was a time frame in my chemotherapy when uh, food was not not great. Um, and the really the only thing I wanted to feel like I could eat was potato. <laughs> that was it. So I was like, all right, I'll honor you, potato. But I am a foodie, so I got to have them all sorts of different ways. 
Yeah. Okay. What about you? Probably chicken. So it sounds so lame, but I am the biggest sucker for rotisserie chicken. Yeah. Costco's only $4.99. What a steal. <laughs> Heinz on Fridays. I'm like, I could sit down and plow through a chicken. Uh, I don't know. I we love just salt. picked the two plainest things on the planet. Chicken and potato. I have a very like bland palate. I'm sure if you re-podcasted with my mom and you asked her the one thing she doesn't let Haley do, it's cook. Because my favorite flavor is salt. So that's not a good flavor. So yeah, I'm a very plain Jane. I love meat and potatoes. Uh, but chicken, chicken okay. would probably be it. Um, let's switch gears okay. and we'll go into cancer. So what's your experience with cancer? Has there been anybody in your family with cancer? Friends? Yeah, there's there's been quite a few people that I've been in close proximity to or at least, um, you know, related to or anything um, who have went through the C treatment uh, mm -hmm. cancer. Um, my grandpa passed away from cancer um, and I was really kind of too young to understand what was going on. I knew, you know, melanoma was affected your skin. And so from that, I always put on sunscreen. I'm a very pale individual. I know you can't see us, but it's very important. I get burnt very easy. Let's just say we match the food that we chose. Yeah, 100%. And when I'm cold, I look like a plucked chicken. So it's exactly the same. Um, and then my Aunt Becky, actually, so my, my dad's sister-in-law, um, she just had colon cancer, um, and she beat it. She's an absolute stud muffin. She someone who made cancer look easy, um, which is not necessary, but uh, she did somehow. Um, I, I knew speaking to her and being able to relate on some, like, other patient experiences, you know, that it's never easy. Um, and sometimes people just have a persona about them where they say it's not going to be my identity, like Candace here, right? She's using this as fuel to do something with it. Um, and that's the inspiring take. I've seen other people who have went through cancer and beat it and it's became their identity. And unfortunately, their life's never been the same after. Um, my grandma, uh, step, my step grandma, she beat triple negative breast cancer and unfortunately just got put on hospice a couple days ago. Um, but there's one person in particular who I met this year, actually, while studying for the MCAT. She is from Portland. We met on, like, a Facebook group. Um, and she was the first person I really resonated with in terms of, like, our patient experiences, wanting to fuel our, our passion to becoming physicians. Yeah. And she had leukemia and um, osteosarcoma and an osteosarcoma when she was 14. Um, and she beat the cancer. She had a job while she was on chemo. Uh, she had to move from Ashland to Portland to get treatment. And she has done nothing but use that story to completely change the people's lives uh, who are around her. And she actually just got to do an interview with me a couple weeks ago in the camp that I direct called MedQuest. And I was over there bawling, like just so inspired by this woman. And I am so thankful to call her a friend, but yeah. Cancer is a big thing, and some are fortunate enough to survive it and hopefully do something with it to change the world and to change their life and perspective about the gift of life. Um, and others are, are not so lucky. So, yeah, yeah that's kind of my experience. Ah, that's so inspiring, your friend. I love that. Um, 
and I'm feeling that. I feel like right now on my journey, I'm kind of like heads down, like continue on, get my treatment, figure out this second cancer I've got going on now, and which is unrelated to my spindle cell cancer, thank God. But yeah, continue on. But I am really curious to see um, what this births in me next and um, what kind of passions I have. I already have a passion in me, advocacy for... Um, for people who aren't as fortunate, I think, as me in the fact that I've had so much incredible support and um, just advocating for them uh, and finding support for them, um, whether that's helping them navigate the situation or finding resources, I, I feel really just kind of a kindling of that fire in me. Um, whether that's just as a friend or that's a job position I end up getting, I don't know, but... I sure would like to get paid for it, but yeah. I, <laughs> I would, um, the advocacy thing is kind of really kind of birthing in me right now. But the other question I wanted to ask you, um, along the lines of cancer, um, because I know you have a passion for it in particular. Um, one of the first things I thought of when I got diagnosed, especially with something so rare, was that I am a woman in a very, very rural area. What kind of quality care am I going to find? And how hard will it be for me to navigate, to try to find and advocate for myself and try to find quality health care? And I was so pleasantly surprised with my level of advocacy because I think what's interesting is that the benefit of rural health care is that it is relational. And so I was able to contact people that I knew who are professionals, who are doctors, and say, oh my gosh, you guys, I have this thing. What do I do? And they were already networked in to a whole group of oncologists that um, would help me out. A surgical oncologist who then took it to a whole panel of oncologists that were um, from throughout the nation. And so my pathology ended up going to Brigham and Women's in Boston. We were laughing that my pathology got to Harvard before my kids did. Um, and just, you know, like, and then on the flip side, once we figured out what it was, and then we, we figured out kind of the plan for it with a bunch of oncologists coming in on that, I was able then to, they knew my rural oncologist, and then I was able to be in LeGrand the whole time for my treatment. So I had like this full circle moment of like, I don't have to, like your friend, move to Portland for my treatment. I can receive treatment locally, which is a rare thing, I think, for rural healthcare, but... I just wanted to get your, like, talk to me about rural healthcare and, like, what you love about it. Yeah, oh, I love everything about this because this is the whole mission that I have um, as a physician is to come back and, and to be that advocate in a rural setting um, as a physician and to, to break down those barriers, whether that's access, whether that's disparities that people are facing, like food insecurity and other things, and then also to help inspire the future students um, who want to do something with their passions and things just like me, but had I had zero idea how to get from point A to point B yeah. because we don't have those same resources. And so I really had to learn how to be my own biggest advocate. And really, I think that's the biggest piece of advice that I give anyone, whether it's a, a recovery 
um, or it's students who are, have a goal or literally anyone who comes from a place that maybe isn't as resourceful, uh, you have to be resourceful and you have to advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Um, now, with that being said, right, in rural healthcare, we, we do have less resources. We have less access to care. It takes us longer to get places. As you all know, we are in the car <laughs> driving to Pendleton, um, which is 50 miles. And, and a lot of times that's never something that anyone would ever have to face. Yeah. Urban healthcare has everything linked. You know, you could be in the exact same facility and get every single aspect of healthcare. Uh, covered. Now in Grand, we are fortunate. We have a critical access hospital though that has 25 beds. If you have a stroke in Grand, you're getting flown out at least three hours. So there are things that are not possible to be treated in rural settings because we just flat out do not have the resources and it does not make sense to put all these additional supplies and things for fewer people being able to utilize them when that's someone else's specialty somewhere else. So subspecialists, specialists um, are often when it goes beyond a general issue, like general orthopedics or general cardiology or something that's kind of more textbook, you can get those addressed in rural settings. That does not mean that the care that you receive in a rural setting is going to be less than. It just means that sometimes there's additional resources that are needed to supplement care. Just like Candace is saying, right? They had to lean on teammates and people who are more subspecialized in more advanced or specific things. And I think that's that's the biggest ticket. So I know that I'm not going to be able to help every patient I have. And it's gonna be one of my greatest challenges as a physician because I love to advocate and I want to be, not the hero, but I want to do something to help people. <laughs> and I'm not always gonna have those answers. And so if, if I'm smart enough, right, and can recognize the limitations that I have myself, because we're all humans, doctors too, you know, then you will build a team, you will find the resources, and what you'll never do as a physician if you're a good one or any other advocate is leave a patient sitting there confused about where to go next. Yeah. And I've had that experience as a patient, and that's one thing I, I said, if I ever come to a spot in my career that I'm not at least linking them with someone who can help them, then I've failed my job. Mm -hmm. Because that's the biggest struggle coming from a rural or an underserved place is knowing how to navigate the next step. Yeah. And so that's that's what I think. Uh, rural care is fantastic. We're lucky to even have access to healthcare. Um, but sometimes it's it's better to go out of town, maybe to get that additional uh, opinion because something's more complex than what we can handle in our setting. But that does not mean that the treatment that you get is going to be less than. And I really love that you said it's community driven. So we are lucky. I mean, every physician I've been treated by, every nurse I've interacted with, I've either worked with them at the hospital or they're my friend's parent or, you know, your, yeah. your basketball coach or whatever. And so, yeah, there's hard things about rural, like seeing your patients in the grocery store, going somewhere without being recognized, right? But also that's a strength in itself. And I, I love that aspect of it too. So yeah. I don't even know if I answered the question. Totally I am very, dead. very passionate about this <laughs> subject though. I know you are. Um, yeah, I think the other thing I, I found to be refreshing is that um, there weren't any there wasn't arrogance on the side of any oncologists, any nurse oncologists that I met. Everybody was for me and willing to be like, let's let's get multiple opinions. Nobody held like that. I have this this plan, right? Especially for the the type of cancer I had, no one really knew what to do. It's so rare. So, um, so they all were like 
combined their minds and um, their... Which is exactly what they should have done because no one has the answers, right? So we have to build, we have to work as a team, we have to get the diverse thoughts, we have to get all of that to provide the best plan of care. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter if you're in a, a rural setting or, a, you know, a, a, an urban setting, like everybody should be consulting with each other. So yeah, it's been, it's been a a good, good experience. I think for me, um, in that, um, having a weirdo of a cancer. So yeah. I also think if anyone does ever have that experience with an oncology team, just please go somewhere else because the people who can become oncologists and oncology nurses, you know, they recognize that you guys are going through literally probably the worst thing you've ever been through. And if they do anything but try and make that the best experience you've had with the circumstances that you're going through, then that's not where you should be receiving care because you deserve (laughs) people who will advocate and try and make something so terrible right into something at least manageable. Yes. (laughs) I have found that they're some of the most tender-hearted um, people and very like attuned to you as a human on what you are experiencing that day and not just like physically but emotionally and like spiritually and mentally like how are you doing as a complete human and yeah they're special special humans I tell you what um, all right listener we are driving past wild horse <laughs> we're almost dropping into Pendleton and this is our last question so Miss Haley Um, I know you know where you're going. So when you get to heaven someday, long, long time from now, um, what do you hope God says to you when you get there? Or what do you hope he does? Uh, That's a tough one. It makes me emotional. Um, Says welcome home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I think forever I thought that I had to like accomplish the goal of being a physician to do the work that he has called me to do. And I, when I took a step back and said, you know what, like, cause I mean, my, my journey to medical school has been very hard. <laughs> it has not been smooth sailing. I've had 22 surgeries in my 25 years, like with most of those being like nine of them during undergrad alone. So it affected my grades and like whatever, but I think, you know, if I can, if he says welcome home and I know that I fulfilled the mission that he put me on, like right now I get to help those kids. I get to be their advocate and I don't have to wait to be a doctor to do that. I don't have to wait to change people's health care or advocate or provide resources like a ride to a treatment or being my dad's advocate through the VA system and taking him to surgery next week. You know, it's like there's so many opportunities to serve people and I don't need a title to do that. And the moment I took that off of what it was that I thought he was calling me to do, it's funny how all the other things started falling into place to be like, no, you're right. You can have a bigger platform so that you can do more with it. So I think that's it right there is my identity is not a doctor. It will never be a doctor. It's what I'll do. And it's the profession that I've chose, but I'm Haley. I'm God's kid. And that's, I have passions and things and I'll do them, but it's not who I am and it will never be who I am. You'll be doing those whether you are being paid for them or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as you're currently driving me to treatment, yeah. right? That's who you are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you are so welcomed. I just I love that. I I feel like 
Um, you're not the only one who feels that way. And I really need to hit on this because when I say September of 2020, I was sitting with Candace at the church, like, Candace, help me, having a panic attack over this stupid test called the MCAT. And she goes, you know what, Haley? If you pass this test or whatever, you know, there's no really passing, but getting a good enough score, she's like, then I think you're on the right path. If not, something will go wrong and God will shut that door. And it's just so funny because I didn't get the score I wanted, but was it better than the, the first time I took it? Yeah. Was there room to improve? Sure. And through this next trial with it, I just, I got, I literally hit the goal that I set. That was a high goal and I did it. And now I'm like, wow, it was just a stupid test, you know, like, right. and I just, I'll never forget that moment with Candace when she's like, have you ever thought about if, if God don't, didn't want you to be a doctor? And I was like, no, cause I'm going to be a doctor, Candace. Like I hated to hear that, but it was funny because that was two years ago and I am so thankful that it didn't work out then and it didn't work out the next year and that it's all falling into place now because I wasn't ready then and I, I didn't know why as much so of why I'm doing this and so everything happens for a reason guys stay on the path and stay persistent and figure out what you can learn and yeah the timing is everything and we sometimes have to release the timing and the control. That was it. <laughs> Haley's a control freak, and she helped me recognize how bad it was. Yes. And I think I, and we all struggle with it. And I, you know, control, obviously, during during the season I'm in right now, I mean, it's silly to even think that you are in control of anything right, right. now. And you're not. But, um, but that idea of, like, just relaxing back into the arms of the Father, because he's, he is, he's good, He's a good father and he wants good things for you. And he's got this really great plan. And sometimes we get all like, oh, am I there? Am I doing the right thing? And you're like, you just relax back into it. Yeah. Which I preach to myself as much as I would share with you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I speak from a place of like my own stuff. So, you yeah. You lead by example, Candace. <laughs> there I'm, you go. She's a leader, guys. She's a real leader. All right. Well, thank you for listening in. I'm going in for this treatment today. I'm feeling really good about it. I haven't had any problems yet with radiation, which I feel like is just kind of a big, deep breath of, whew, because I've been through so many problems already with chemotherapy. So um, I have been really pleased with my treatment here in Pendleton. Very thankful for everybody in radiation. So thank you for listening in and tune in tomorrow. We'll have another podcast. For listening in friend I really appreciate it this is really fun for me but I hope for you there's some takeaways on just being a good neighbor just somebody who's willing to to jump in and say yeah I'll help you out if you are a cancer survivor or if you're currently going through cancer please know that my heart is with you that my prayers are with you and that you are more connected than you realize and you are more loved than you could ever understand Please tune in next time. We will have a great time on the podcast, driving over the mountain where I get radiation and make the best of it. You know what I'm saying? Have a great day. Mm-hmm.